This season of the Good Up Podcast is sponsored by Empath Psychological Services. Good Up is our space to talk about those experiences in life we didn't know we all had in common. We're the after work happy hour conversation with your best friend. The place where you bring up the hard parts of life, the ones that made you laugh, and the things that made you who you are. Because who said becoming Good Up wasn't a little bit uncomfortable? Stay tuned for more information about this week's episode. Here at the Good Up Pod, we're all about shedding light on life experiences that have contributed to who we are and learning to navigate them to find a feeling that's, well, you know, good up. For some of us, that journey includes therapy. Empath Psychological Services operates with the belief that life's challenges are not all of who we are. They aim to create a non-judgmental environment to help their clients harness their own power and to find their path to mental well-being. Good Up and Empath Psychological Services share a passion for helping others navigate their own healing their way. If you're interested in teletherapy services in the U.S. Virgin Islands or the state of Texas, check out the link in the description box for more information on how you can book a session with Empath Psychological Services. Hey, beautiful people, and welcome back to another episode of the Good Up Podcast. It's me, your girl, Venus's number one hater in this period of time. Yeah, I I hate her right now. Maybe she don't deserve it, but that's where I am. But, you know, welcome to the people. And what's your your name this week, Deidre? Honey, I'm Paul Randolph this week (laughs) (laughs) from Jenny and Georgia. Last week I was Georgia Miller, and this week I'm Paul Randolph because... Is he the fine, like, Indian or, like, South Asian? Oh, no, he was fine. First of all... Every man on that show who wanted Georgia was fine. I will mm-hmm. get even like there was times on the show where other characters, every time they met like one of her exes, they're like, where do you find these men? <laughs> Georgia, they'll be pulling the She's finest like, yeah. men. I ain't even right? watch. I haven't watched that much of the show, but she is that girl. That man is very much deserving of the my man, my man, my man kind of treatment. Cause one thing, but he, he don't play about his bitch. Okay. <laughs> Anybody could get behind his fucking woman. Okay. And that's who Deidre is this week, ladies and gentlemen. I am Paul Randolph this week, okay? So welcome. <laughs> welcome to the Good Up, Good Up podcast. I'm so excited for today's episode. I'm, I don't say that every week, but I I legit excited for today's episode. <laughs> um, So we have somebody here who it's long overdue for her to be on the podcast. And yes. we're talking about a subject that is near and dear, I think, to most of our audience's heart because our audience consists of mostly Black women. So if you're a Black man and you don't listen to the podcast... Listen you, up. You don't, you don't get a hall pass for this. You need to listen. If you yeah. are a white person and you listen to this podcast, you don't get a hall pass. This episode is actually for you. It's about most of our audience, but it's for you. So you can listen and pay attention and learn whatever the fuck you need to learn. Okay? With that being said, we have Dr. It's Dr. Okay? <laughs> Brittany Dawson on the podcast today. So I am going to pass it over to Brittany so she can introduce herself and tell the people them. Um, all of the good up, good up things about herself. So, hi. No, I want to say first. Let me say I've been fangirling. I feel so excited. Um, and you gotta say it with an accent because we go, we go whitewash it for them for the episode. But I'm really, really excited. I am Dr. Brittany Dawson. Um, you guys said a doctor with an accent, so it'll doctor. Doctor. You guys said doctor. Um, I am. I am. Um, 
a Virgin Islander, first and foremost. I'm a Black woman before anything else. I am a doctor of like nurse nursing. I am a midwife and a nurse practitioner by trade. So I hold my doctorate degree because I want to write policy and do all those fun things. Um, but I function in women's health most, mostly and midwifery mostly as my passions. And um, I've been able to bring that passion home to St. Croix. So I am a provider in St. Croix. I'm launching my practice slowly but surely. I work full-time at the hospital. I, um, I am a fellow candidate for my national recognizing organization. I am vice chair of the Virgin Islands Board of Nurse Licensure. And the list goes on and on and on. But um, I think my biggest accolade is, you know, I am, I'm just, I, I'm very much so happy to be here. I currently practice out in partnership with HerCare. So I am um, a provider at HerCare. But, you know, Dr. Berkeley is the founding physician of that practice and has been very supportive on me, you know, building and really branching out into the community to build out like what my vision will be for you know what I want to see happen here so it's been it's been a long time overdue I want to tell you I was so happy to be invited I, I really am very seriously was very excited to be invited because I've done a couple other podcasts and I'm like the man don't want me like you don't want me it's never that it's never that please no like we want you on. <laughs> and the other thing is, especially when we're, we have members of our community who do such important work, it makes sense to have you guys on to talk about something that is meaningful and beneficial to the community. And we ain't gonna have you on, Brittany, and you just like talking about what, well, like, like monstera leaves uh, or talking <laughs> people business. Like, no, if we're well, if you want to do that, we could do that. I would love you on to talk some, you know, talk about some ratchet shit. But when I think about the amount of work you do and how valuable your time is, the like you, if you're gonna be on this show, if you're gonna take time out of your busy existence to be here, it has to be meaningful. Okay, (laughs) we ain't gonna have you here. I believe. (laughs) I see. The thing is is that, like, I believe in duality. I'm with the bullshit. I'm with the ratchet, but I'm also very much so. Like, you're going to call me Dr. Dawson when necessary. But at the same time, like, I'm just as much Britney. I'm just as much one of the home girls. That's a fact. And I'm going to tell y'all something. Britney, because me and Britney go way back. (laughs) Britney, they'll be on her shit, okay? When I got some real trifling shit, I need to work through. Me and Britney be on that phone for hours. Hours. (laughs) Speaking of which, I got an update for you, girl. (laughs) When I tell you about my update, let me just... I love this because I know this floor. is a four-hour conversation waiting no, to happen. Legit, me and Brittany to be on the phone for hours. Yeah, anytime the judge tell me she got an update for me, I'd be like, all right, let me clear up the rest <laughs> of my afternoon. Let me, yeah. We're going to sit on. I go, you know, like when you're in high school and you put your feet up on what the wall? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And we be going to back and forth. Yeah. Yes, it, it'd be a mess. I love so it. So I feel like having a conversation should be like, even when you're talking to your providers and talking to whoever, it should be like talking to one of your homegirls, really and truly, because you should get to a place where, like, you should be able to talk about anything. Like, mm-hmm. you walk into the office, if you're worried about, like, a bump on the left side of your vagina, you should be like, like listen, I have this bump. Look at this thing for me, or whatever it can be. Like, because that's that's why I say, like, it's one of the coolest things is working here be- in in the community, because 
people become so comfortable because they know you from high school or they know you from mm. so-and-so or they see you. And it's a really different setting than when I worked in the States. When I worked in the States, I never saw my patients again. Like, I would see them once oh, wow. and I wouldn't see them for years. Like, yeah. I mean, or run into nobody in the street. I'm not going to deliver somebody's baby and be able to see this baby again. Here, mm. I watch, I'm, you know, practicing going into my third, the middle of my third year. And I have people that I'm birthing their second babies and I have patients that I've been seeing for every single year and I'm like this is completely it feels good Mm -hmm. I'm glad to hear you say that because that's something that I've been struggling with here is um my initial CNM who I used to see when I lived in a different town we kind of had that rapport but then when I moved to where I live now I've had the same doctor for a couple of years and I just don't feel that connection. And I found myself wondering, is it me? Like, am I expecting too much of my providers? But what you just described is what I want in a provider. Like you literally all up in my coochie. Like I want us to have some kind of a room. Like I need yeah. to feel the way about you that I feel about my wax lady. Like, yeah, I know that girl. My wax mm-hmm. girl, my esthetician, she knows my business. Me and she will be talking. She will be like, you quit that job yet? Like, We'd be t- we'd be running bam, you know. Like, yes. but I I I haven't had that yet with like my women's health practitioners, and it's like, like the last time I saw them, like sometimes I feel judged by them. Other times I feel like they just want me to come in, get the service, and leave. Like, mm-hmm. and I'm like, maybe I'm just like being unrealistic and expecting too much. But now you're confirming, like, no, like you know, we should have that. So now Not I'm gonna look all. for a new one. I'm gonna look for a yeah, new one. Yeah, it's like the finding a good coochie doctor is like dating. Like you need to date around. Find you yeah. one you like and make sure they like you back. Like can I need yeah. an episode Not- the coochie doctor? Because- <laughs> please do, please do. You know, and I'm glad you said that, Britt, because I remember you was on a radio some time ago and you said coochie mm-hmm. doctor and they they told you that it was improper and I was very offended. And I remember watching that clip and this was a long time ago. And I remember saying, when Brittany come on a good up pod, we're going to let she say coochie as many times as she want because absolutely not. Like, what the fuck? Like, I was so that, mad. And I think I say, I say pum pum a lot, but it's because like, I, I just like those words. Like I, I, yeah. I'm a, I'm a cunt kind of girl. I love a good, like, I love a good pum pum. And Brigitte, at the same time, every time we end up on some podcast or something together, I I just the pum pum like three times. And she'll be like, pum pum is your favorite word. And I'm like, it, but it is. It's such a good word. DJ, you see the keychain I sent you on Instagram? (laughs) I haven't seen it yet. I have to go look. It's a big pum pum energy. And I was like, I want this keychain. Uh, I want this keychain. (laughs) But that's my first product launch. I'm gonna launch a big pump. Uh, big pump. We need a line of keychains that just like keep the pump pump running, big coochie and all the shit. Like, mm-hmm. I would support yes. it. But you mm-hmm. co- absolutely said coochie on the good up podcast because one thing yes, we don't have is fucking brought up. See, we're gonna say what the fuck we want on here. So, with exactly. that being said, though, you kind of hinted at it a little bit with like your experience doing this walk at home. But what made you want to go into the healthcare field? Because I personally could never picture it for myself. And I always wonder, like, what is it that clicks for people in the healthcare field to be like, you know, I can do this shit full time. It was a passion. So when I I grew up and I knew I wanted to be in service to people, like that was my first thing. Like, I'm going to do like some kind of medicine, something like physical rehab. Initially, I thought it'd be like physical therapy and rehabilitation and things like that. My father has always been, he he had sickle cell anemia, SSI, um, 
and has had been sick on and off my entire life. So I've seen him in the healthcare system. And then when he transitioned to living in Florida, I saw him deal with so much racism and just systemic bias and, and really, really just poor treatment that it made me want to become like uh, like a pain nurse. Like I wanted to work in public health and be a pain specialist. I wanted to work in like sickle cell clinics. That's what I, that was my coming into school was like, this is what I'm going to do, right? Yeah. Somewhere along the way, I, um, it's my passion still stayed to servicing people, but it changed to women's health because I got the opportunity to train at a birthing center through my nursing program as my women's health and family rotation. So I was like, oh, cool. Like this is going to be, this would be better than going to the hospital. It's a great experience. And then I went and when I went, I thought I was going to hate it. I'm not even going to lie. I thought this was going to be crazy. I thought these women were going to be off the wall. And, I, and I'm very like even kilter in my personality. So I was like, I don't know if I'm going to mix well. But I end up, you know, Virgin Islanders are everywhere. So I end up meeting, running into this girl from St. Thomas who was having her baby at the birthing center in Miami. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, and she was like, you know, if you want to come to my birth, you can come. And I remember going to participate in her birth and a baby coming out and I just bawled my eyes out. Like I was, I was sold. Like you can't tell me I'm going to do anything else after that. And then I was like, I'm going to you know, the work, labor and delivery. That's my love. You know, I done ditched my father and gone. Sorry, dad. I know, (laughs) but he's very proud. And I ended up, um, I ended up in the hospital and a hospital setting on a high risk labor floor after a lot of effort. And I was really, really great at it, but I just found myself just arguing with providers all the time. Mm -hmm. And The short story is this white man who was a physician and me were arguing over a patient decision he was making. And he looked at me in the hallway and said, if you want to make the calls, you need to become a provider, basically. He was like, basically like, shut up. If you want to be in charge, be in charge. But he was like, shut up. And then I was like, bet. And like the next week I applied to midwifery school. That's literally how, how I ended up like transitioning. You know, I don't believe in coincidences and you know, everything happens the way it's supposed to as much as I want to pop that motherfucker in the face. I'm grateful to that man being so brazen with you because yeah, he was very, he he was a lot though, Mm -hmm. but no, that's a prime example of everybody like every there's a necessary there's a necessity and even like the assholes right Mm -hmm. because how much longer would it have taken for you to take that step had he not probably years really years yeah i I probably would have just been starting my program now honestly because i had no intentions of moving that quickly but i was like better watch this yeah so there's like i'm grateful for him because had he not Loki tried to disrespect Brittany because that's what he was doing was trying mm-hmm. to sun her. He was trying to sun her, but what he did was he, you know, created a gem for our community. So thank you, disrespectful ass white man. It created, it was like I every time I thought I was where I was gonna be, it like transitioned, transitioned, mm-hmm. transitioned really quickly. But I, it just made me believe more and more that like you just have to walk your path in life and just trust your instincts and things mm. will unfold the way they're supposed to be. Like really just go with it. Mm-hmm. 
Love it. So I think your journey is very fit into our conversation because later on, we're going to talk more about just like advocating for patients and how much advocating Black women especially have to do when we're navigating mm-hmm. a healthcare field. But before we, I mean, well, we, we're going to kind of lean into that now. So this is a question for all of us. When you are navigating healthcare, just whether it is your reproductive healthcare or just going through the healthcare system when you're sick, like, what is that experience like for you as a Black woman? And what do you think people should know about what that feels like as Black women navigating those spaces? I'll say this, like, before I was a provider, I walked into spaces really just, like, afraid. You're, like, afraid to make too much ruckus because you don't want nobody to, to dub you one way or the other or dismiss your complaints. But it comes, you, you get a lot of dismissiveness. And um, as I've become a provider, I get trying to give everyone the benefit of the doubt because now my knowledge is so much vaster than it was before. So when I when I navigate the healthcare field now, I'm navigating it from a different place of like education wise and a level of privilege that most black women won't have. So I usually walk into office. I don't tell them what I do. I don't tell them anything. But now I'm always but. I've yet to walk into an office, an ER, or a hospital setting where I've had to be seen as a patient and not have to pull my education out on them. Like, so that means that like we're living in a very dangerous space. So I'm usually very on guard now because I'm like, at, at some point I know I'm gonna have to tell them, you know, yeah, I hear you, but this is what I do for a living in order to get what I'm looking for from some of the mm. places that we get care. Yeah. Um, so, so I'm trying to find the words because the simplest answer is I've experienced it all. I've experienced mm-hmm. those scenarios where I'm being dismissed because I'm a black woman, but I've also experienced scenarios where I've been treated the way I deserve to be treated as a patient and prioritized in the way that every patient is supposed to be prioritized. So it's literally just up in the air, depending on like where I go. Um, I was hospitalized recently and I have to say, I was treated the way I was supposed to be treated, you know, from entering the ER up until I was discharged. Um, you know, my, my health, like I was taken seriously. I felt like the friggin' medical professionals believed me. Could it be because it was visible why I was there? Possibly. It could be because they could see why I was there. Because two years prior, I was hospitalized because I had injured myself at the gym and there was no visible evidence of why I was there. So I feel like they thought I was exaggerating the amount of pain I was in. So Mm -hmm. it was the weekend. Going to the ER on the weekend is the devil, I have to say. I think it might have been like a Saturday that I went in. I was in excruciating pain. Um, and I just, there was people in the waiting room, like yelling at them, like, dude, this woman is in pain. Like y'all need to do something for her. Cause they weren't really prioritizing me. It was crowded. I get it. But it took a long time for them to like, get me into a bed and all this jazz. Um, so I've experienced both ends of it and it, it don't feel good. Like it don't feel good to not be prioritized and taken seriously and to feel like you're not believed. Um, especially because where I live, the hospital near me is essentially in like a downtown area. So it's the fancier part of town. Um, and so you get a mixed bag of patients, you get, you know, the downtowners who are this color, but then you also get inner city people who 
could be drug abusers. And mm-hmm. there was a lady in the, the space right next to me in the ER and she was screaming and she was going through a lot. And the nurses were all irritated by her because they're like, oh, she's a regular, she's a drug abuser. And she, and I'm like, y'all are literally violating this lady's HIPAA. Like, why are y'all yeah. telling me that this lady is a drug addict? Like it's, it's not my business. Like is her screaming, disrupting me and my experience? Yes. Does that mean that I need to be told and given a reason? Like she deserves the same level of care that I'm getting. Like, I don't like, I'm sorry. Like I get it. She's irritating, but why are you divulging to me her situation? Like y'all are weird. So. Or what if this time she's being truthful? Yeah, like and that's what I, that she's, and you're, exactly. you're, assuming, you're assuming that this person is pain seeking. And my favorite thing to tell nurses who talk like that is to tell them like, and so what? Mm-hmm. And so what? Because what if it's, she is an addict, she's but here, she's injured? Like, exactly. yeah, and that's the point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even if she, and if she's an addict, okay. And she's here for payments. And so what? So what? What, what are I going to do you? Uh, exactly. To, give her, to help her. Nothing. Yeah. Give her exactly. payments. Yeah, my my experience in navigate it it's been in a perspective of a fat black woman specifically, and I think that's also a, a interesting like line to navigate because a lot of times our issues aren't taken seriously because the assumption is that if we lost weight, it would it would be that's the fix, right? Mm-hmm. So you in pain, but it's because you're too heavy for your your height or your size. You you dislocated your knee, but if you just lose weight, it'll be like it's very it'll be fine. My experiences have been very very dismissive, especially you know younger experiences. Um, I was very active as as a child and in high school and in band and all that stuff. So I would get injuries often, right? And obviously not negating that, like yes, your weight does have a lot to do with like how you carry, like how your body can support you, especially if like you're not in shape and all that stuff, but. Again, I was active, right? So I was getting injuries because I was an active like teenager and all that stuff. Yeah. And I started to develop back problems sometime in high school. And back problems have been like like the defining part of like my healthcare system experience, right? And the first I remember being in so much pain all the time that like we repeatedly went to the doctor back home to this like well-known chiropractor and not a chiropractor, he was an orthopedist. And I will never forget that he did an x-ray and he came back and said that my back problems were probably the result of like constipation or something. Right. And I remember just being like, are you, you went to school for this? Like, I was like, I, I'm not going to get the fact that you're the doctor here. Right. But I am in like severe physical pain and I know it's my back. And he was so nonchalant about it that I told myself in that moment, like, we're, like the back, we're done exploring whatever this might be. I would, I would rather deal with a pain than to sit in front of somebody who is going to like patronize, like patronize me like this, mm-hmm. right? And it wasn't until the back problems got more severe to the point where I was having trouble walking and like physically standing up. I went to another doctor, and it was a woman this time. It was a white woman, and she went through the entire process of like really exploring what could possibly be happening Mm -hmm. to me. And they did like other exams and stuff. And I think it, it, how long did it take? I can't remember why it is she did that like revealed that the way my spine was shaped, 
it was like scoliosis, but almost like in the opposite direction. So it wasn't like, a, like if you look at the spine, it wasn't like that. Mm-hmm. It was like going forward. And then, but like, mm-hmm. it was this weird like shape that my spine have that ended up contributing to like me being able to like herniate disc in my spine really easily. Right. Oh, wow. So I would do like ban or I would fall or I would be like fucking wrong. And I could injure myself really easily because of how my spine, or some, she, something she explained mm-hmm. to me, but she took the time. She explained yes. it. And like, she actually hurt. And that was, I remember that was the first time a doctor had like taken it seriously. And she, at no point, obviously she took my weight when I came in, never discussed my weight, never talked mm. about it. And I remember her saying like, oh, lots of people like herniate discs and have bulging discs and all of this problem. She's like, she's like, it happens all the time. You go bend over, you go hurt yourself. She's like, for you, it's a little bit different, but whatever, whatever. She would mm. just clear. Yeah. But even minus that experience, because of how dismissive doctors were growing up, my habit when I go through the healthcare system is to assume that no matter what's going on with me, I am going to get the question of, have you thought about losing weight? Anytime I've had an experience where something was repeated and it finally got figured out, it was a lady doctor who literally took the time to dissect everything. Is it more common or do you guys think it could be more common in like lady doctors or? In my experience, it has been. Any healthcare situation where I was dismissed, it was a male doctor. The rare instances where like I was listened to, Mm -hmm. it was a female doctor. And the instances where like I felt they were sitting a hole in my hand telling me we are going to figure this out, it was a black woman i think the more adversity you experience in life the more you can relate the predominant thing about doctors is that the majority are white male and we know like the elite of our society is the white male they're not going to experience as much adversity and challenges throughout their program so women are going to just have more empathy in general and then you have a black female doctor who's now defeated all the hurdles it is to exist in the medical field who is yeah. more likely to listen to you the person who struggles to get where they are or the person mm. who's already who, who just walked through the door yeah because even when you talked about like this lady came in and took the time i remember when dylan was a baby we went through a period where he experienced like constipation but he was constipated because he refused to poop it wasn't that he refused to poop because he was constipated he became constipated because like he didn't want to poop so he became sorry but, but that's such... <laughs> And when I, said, no. He refused. When I tell y'all, Dylan, we always knew he had to poop because he would go in the corner and tense up and he would do whatever it took to not poop. And it caused constipation. And we, it took, and I'm going to just call her name because shout out to Dr. Moore. Dr. Mm. Moore is who, for one, made us aware of that's what was going on. But the way she broke down how the constipation is working and happening is what was just so like, that lady was literally bent over the exam table with a pencil drawing what his little intestines mm-hmm. probably look like and drawing like fake little poop. She's like, so yeah, so th- this is what inside his intestines probably look like. And mm-hmm. yeah, doctor such and such gave you the right medicine, but he didn't give you enough of a dosage. So you need to triple the dosage. And we were like, mm-hmm. oh, cause we came back after like so many visits and we like, dude, this medicine ain't working. And she's like, mm-hmm. that's cause he ain't getting enough of the medicine. And she mm-hmm. was literally sitting there drawing poop for us. And I'm like, it took a lady doctor to go to those lessons. And sometimes yeah. I, I don't think that medical professionals, the ones who are very, I don't think they understand, like, if you don't take the time to explain this thing, if you don't take the time to express, like, this level of care, 
the problem is going to continue existing and then I'll yeah. keep coming back because you're not actually do- like you're not fixing the problem exactly. because you, you want to get out of here quickly or you feel like it's not really a problem or however because mm-hmm. you know how many times I went to that initial orthopedist like on repeated visits and it's almost like he was exasperated by the fact that like you're back again. coming back but I'm like yeah. but my back problem like I am a teenager who is having mm-hmm. severe back pain. That's not, and that's I don't have boobs. Yeah. So that's not normal. <laughs> like yeah. it's not yeah. my boobs. It's God, not that all these things. It, and it I have one after she, after she figured out the problem and she did the same thing. Like she, she, the woman literally sit down, draw my spine. <laughs> okay. I wanted to go back to he with a drawing and just like smack this man with it and be like, it's not constipation. You're dumb bitch. Like I was so mm-hmm. angry and like yeah. frustrated that it took that long to get answer. Like that's all I wanted. Yeah. I just wanted to understand mm-hmm. what was going on with my body. Like people deserve that. Yeah. And I wish I think it's hard. Yeah. yeah. And you you know, advocacy is so necessary in these medical spaces because I wish your mom had done the, the mature version of what you wanted to do. Like go back and say, Hey, guess what? My fucking daughter's not constipated. Mm-hmm. This doctor took the time because I had an experience a couple years ago where I had to keep going to see my doctor for the same thing. But I think I I came in the first time. She called me with some information. I came in for the visit. She very, when I tell you, this lady just breezed through this um, appointment. She didn't even give me room to ask questions. She just came in, gave me the information, wrote a prescription and dip. And I was like, wait, hold up. So after the medicine she gave me didn't work. And I called back and I was like, hey, listen, I want another doctor. I called and I was very like respectful, but I'm like, I want another doctor. I need to be seen again. I do not want this lady. And I explained my experience. So the doctor I ended up getting was actually a Latino man, but he took the time to explain things to me, make things clear to me, give me the proper dosage and everything. And it's like, back to what Brittany said is because I'm sure he's faced his level of adversities as a Latino man in medicine, you know, so it was probably easier for him to take the time to empathize with me, to give me the information that I needed. (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it was just, it's just wild. And me, I advocated for myself. I was like, this lady did not even give me room to ask questions. Like Mm -hmm. I made it very clear. I'm like, I don't know who this needs to be reported to, but I wasn't even given a chance to ask a question. You know know why I think my mom struggled with advocating for me though? And this is specific to home, right? My mom was also going through a system of that kind of like doctors who dismiss you. It's not that big of a problem. And I, I know that now because my mom recently went through like some healthcare problems and she, the first thing she did was go to our family physician who's been our primary care since I was a baby. Right. Mm-hmm. And in my mother's eyes, that man could do no wrong. He's right about mm-hmm. everything. He was from what she explained to me about what she thought her problem was. He was super dismissive and to her, it was fine. And I'm like, damn, you used to receiving a level of care because this has yeah. been your primary care but physician for decades. Yeah. So, I'm not surprised that she didn't push back harder yeah. because she's so like, that's the level that's what she knew. of care yeah. that she's used to and has been used to for decades. So yeah, like I'm, I'm not surprised. Yeah. You have to also understand that like that our generations, like that generation comes from a generation that was taught not to make no trouble because mm-hmm. the generation before it's them true. was making all its trouble. Okay. Yeah. So they were taught like we did all this work. You need to slide through and just climb your way up the ladder and be grateful. Yeah. Our generation came into the picture like you ain't finna. We we done started going to therapy. 
We yeah. decided all these other things. You're not going to treat me poorly. You're, you're not, not going to be, you're not going to talk yeah. crazy in my face. You're not going to act crazy with me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm the thing is, to be good care. Yeah. And the thing is, is they also just didn't know. They didn't have access mm-hmm. to knowing that, that they deserve advocacy. And also because we have to recognize like, they were trained, like you said, not to make noise. This is the doctor. Right. The doctor knows what they're talking about. Who am I to question mm-hmm. anything? Right. You know, so I get that. That's it's a very different approach to health and your body and your wellness as a whole. I think, and you also have to say those the the older physicians and and nurse practitioners, whoever providers, because it's a very broad term to cover everyone. The older mm-hmm. providers were trained to make decisions for their patients. Literally, they were trained to diagnose, prescribe, and, and that's it. This is what yeah. I think is best for you. This is what you can. But coming into when I started my program and at the last maybe 10 years is when they've started to say that you need to do patient-centered healthcare, meaning like mm-hmm. I need to base my treatments on not on what I feel like is best for you, but what is be- what you feel like is best for you. Mm-hmm. It's like getting a diabetic patient and them telling you, I don't plan on changing my diet. So please don't adjust my insulin for somebody that's on a diabetic diet. I need insulin mm. coverage for somebody who eat what they want. Mm. Like you have to treat people. It needs to be more collaborative. It yeah. needs to be collaborative. Like you can't tell somebody this is what's wrong with you without being like, uh, like pushing for more information. You know how many women I've had come into my office and been told by somebody they have PCOS and have no idea what that even means. Don't mm. understand. And all they feel like is, well, everyone tells me it's going to be hard for me to have a baby. And I'm like, no, I said PCOS is completely different. Some people who have PCOS have no infertility issues. Some people who have PCOS just have, they just, we, we have insulin resistance, which is, has nothing to do with fertility or fertility is fine. Like you, and some will grow hair and some won't grow hair. It's it's a very broad diagnosis of some of things. And when you start talking to them and you sit on and you explain it to them, they're like, oh, wow. I had no idea. I had no idea this impacted my body that way. I had no idea that this is what it was. And they're like, you know, here I am thinking I can have a baby and, you know, it has nothing to do necessarily with that. Yeah. But it's, you don't realize like how much of a disservice you do to people not really taking the time to educate them. And I will say that, you know, providers are stretched thin across the globe yeah. because there's not enough time in a day to treat every patient that you're supposed to be treating. Like they, right. there just isn't like there are patients I should sit in the office with for about an hour, like to really talk and educate them. But you have to, but all you've been slotted was, you know, 20 minute, I do 20 minute appointments because I just can't justify anything less than that. But a 20 minute appointment and that appointment can easily become 40 minutes because you need to take more time. But we're, we yeah. don't have enough time. We don't have, yeah. and, and it's hard. So you have to become really good as a patient and being able to say, okay, like I know that I have this amount of time, but I need to know X, Y, and Z before I walk yeah. out of this room. You know what I yeah. mean? And really, and advocacy is something that is easier for some people than it is others because some of us have yeah. people pleasing trauma. Some of us have poor experiences. Like, hey, yeah. she's coming in the door thinking, I, I know this is going to be shitty after it. You know yeah. what I mean? So, like, you have, you're battling all of these things. And a lot of times, like, when you go into something on your own, you're already, there's a doctor, there's a, um, a an assistant, there's somebody else walking around. You're like fumbling through, just trying to catch yourself. And by the time you look up, they're done gone. Yeah. 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 That, that is, it kind of going left a little bit because I'm going to speak specifically about like dental health care, but it's your body. So it's the same thing. I, Mm -hmm. 
over the I past, never understood why how people are separate. Yeah. Why they're separate. I don't yeah. understand it. But I don't either. <laughs> so over the last three years, because it started during the pandemic, I've had a lot of different um, dental procedures, right? Like major procedures done um, with like my teeth and my gums and all that stuff. And one of the procedures was something that had to be done. It was several procedures over the course of several months to fix one problem, right? And the doctor who I was working with, well, he was a, um, oh my God, I can't remember the formal name, but he was a specialist that would come into my dentist's office to do this work. And he's a, you could tell he's very, um, he's like very analytical, I guess. Like he's not like a, a emotional per, he's not the Given, empathy You ever watched The Good Doctor? He's, he's it like was very much it. that. It was very much like, I'm going to tell I'm you what's going on. We're doing it. Open your mouth. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Just like that. So I had my first procedure and I came back. And one thing that that kept standing out to me from this was like nobody they explained kind of what was going to happen from the get go. But it's almost as if they forgot that, like, you're doing this thing over the course of several months. And like, I need you to kind of explain what's going on along the way, because this is like it was painful. It was traumatizing. I was awake for all of it. Like all of this Mm. stuff is happening. Right. You are you are inducing trauma on my body right yeah. and I, sh- I think you should at least before you start procedures take time to explain what you yeah. about to do so it, I had come in for like the second procedure or something and nobody in the course of setting an appointment in the course of prepping me for it taking me to the back nobody stopped to say this is what's going to happen today oh he wow. come in the room said you ready I was like I guess. No. And again, <laughs> no, I didn't know uh-huh. what to do. So I didn't yeah. say anything. I was like, okay, I guess numb me oh. everything. I start doing this whole other procedure and it was, it was uncomfortable. It was very painful. And after the procedure ended, they took me to another room to do like measurements of my mouth for like the next step of it. Right. So it was a, a like a dental assistant who was taking over for this part. And I had been in a room by myself and I had started to cry. Cause I was just like, what just happened to me? What just like, happened? Yeah. I just, mm-hmm. I came in thinking it was going to be like a routine check-in thing. And this man just performed surgery on my mouth. Like what just happened to me? Oh my God. And I was God. crying and she come in and she was like, are you okay? And I was like, nobody's explaining to me what is going on. Like nobody yeah. walking me through the process. And for the minute I said that, she dropped everything. She bring my actual dentist into the room. They sat, like sat down with me. They explained like, okay, this is what's happening. This is going to be the next thing after that. And did it. And like, they were apologetic about it, but I was like, dude, you can't why just have people in here. <laughs> right. Like, why did you have to get to that point? For them yeah. 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 Like, that's, it right. sounds like, like assault. Like they just decided what to do. It, it, it felt like assault. It, is it did. Assault. And I tell people all the time, you can be assaulted in a medical setting. If yeah. someone touches you, like I, I, I train midwife students, right? So it's one of my, it's one of my passions. I really enjoy having students come down. And at this point, I've advocated really largely in like a black um, maternal health crisis diaspora that students have like sought me out to come and train with me. So they come and train mm-hmm. with me here in the Virgin Islands. They spend like six months with me. Mm-hmm. And I'm, uh, I've had like five so far. So I have another one coming. My, I have one that's leaving in two weeks. But one of my favorite things to teach them is do not touch someone without asking. Yeah. As per, you ever have a doctor walk in the room and just touch you? That's like, crazy touch, to like, me. Don't stop touching people. And it, it is it is my largest pet peeve because I said, yeah. you're assaulting her. 
You do not yeah. have consent to touch this woman's body. You, yeah. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's a you just listening to their lungs. I don't care if they, you're touching their belly, their foot, their toe. You're doing a reflex. I don't care what it is. You say, hey, this is what I would like to do. Are you comfortable with me touching you? This is where I'm mm-hmm. going to. And it's like yeah. you, people and you're what you're doing is I'm training them to give the power back to their patient. Give yeah. it back to her because when she walked into this room, she's lost it because everyone has trained her to let it go because yeah. you know what you're doing and you're the provider. But you need to change the, it with healthcare. We have to change the power dynamics because you're going to continue to miss things and ignore things, and people are going to continue to die because of it. The assault thing is like a really big touchy subject because in birth and in it, it is happening so much that like women. We'll get a vaginal exam without consenting to letting someone inside of their their vagina, or they'll they'll get oh an emergency God. C-section and no one consented them to to through this process or even explain yeah. to them what's happening. So there's this great amount of trauma. And there was some article, you know, about a woman who sued her physician, who in labor did a check on like check her cervix without her consent and did it a couple of times. And she felt like she was sexually assaulted. And, and it was a big uproar because the obstetrical community and some of the doctors are like, oh, it was an emergency and it was quick. And my my response was, it takes 10 seconds. Well, yeah, 10 seconds less. to say. Yeah, 10 seconds. Yeah, I'm really concerned with your baby's heart rate. I need to check to see if your cervix is opening up. Can I check you? And it is yeah. her right to say no. And mm-hmm. if she says no, then you need to pivot your plan based on that because people have a right to consent to their bodies. Anytime somebody is in a healthcare setting, a doctor's office, a hospital, like they're not the most warm places on earth, no. right? No matter Mm-mm. how you try to make them warm and comfortable, it is an uncomfortable process yes. to be somewhere with somebody putting a needle in your mouth or doing anything to your body. Even if yeah. you OBGYN off, I don't like going there. Oh, like, it's such a, it's a lot. It's a it's lot. It's an uncomfortable like, experience, mm-hmm. even if you mm-hmm. have the best provider. What is something that you think women just like don't know about their reproductive health or about themselves that you feel like we should know? Period pain is not normal. Mm. That is that is the number one thing that we are programmed to believe that like if your cycle is severely painful and you can't you having to call to walk and you can't function on your day to day life, that's not normal. Okay, you deserve a better quality of life. You should right. not be managing that. And then the, I think my second biggest thing would be like vaginal discharge and odor is normal. There are just different degrees of what that normal is for everybody. Yeah. And this new, like, I don't know if it's new. I don't know what's going on, but this whole obsession with like. My smell like water. Smells like water is driving me absolutely insane. It's crazy to me. I'm like, girl, you have a smell. Like, what are you, you having? Like? People it's- have a sense. What water smell? Please, anyway, please be serious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just... I swear, I promise you, those no. are my two like top tier things. Well, for one, I um I know a lot of people experience like severe period pain. I for most of my life, between my first period and like when I had Dylan, I never experienced cramps or anything. Unless mm-hmm. I had my period marked in the calendar, I would find out I got my period because it just showed up. Um, I never got like symptoms and stuff. And so I remember like when I was, you know, very pregnant and my midwife was preparing me for labor and she said, you're going to know you're in labor because you'll feel severe period cramps. And I was like, I don't know what period cramps feel I like. Yeah. yeah. I was like, I don't. And she was like, well, fuck you. Like, <laughs> and for but, me and my sisters, it's like the opposite end of the spectrum. Yeah. Like we're used to those periods that have you like throwing up, nausea on mm-hmm. all fours, like 
outer commission for days. Yeah. Shauna so, too. Shauna was saying the yeah. same thing that her periods were insane. Now, after I had Dylan, I started to have symptoms, but still not severe. Mm-hmm. And um, between like when he was a baby and now, um, I don't get symptoms with every cycle some cycles i get symptoms and then others i don't i feel like in the last few months i haven't really experienced any so i don't know if like but what i want you to think about is lifestyle so yeah I, look you, how much your lifestyle has shifted yeah and, and it's not a weight thing and that's something i always tell people like it, we have so much fat phobia in healthcare mm-hmm. fat, the only thing like fat holds on to estrogen but all that does is increases it, it's like the cycle of it increases your appetite estrogen mm-hmm. is something it just makes you more hungry more often mm-hmm. so that's how you lose weight but my fat is making me hungry and it, yeah. this is already we already done our battle road but yeah. the truth is is that a lot of like high inflammatory diets high inflammatory lifestyles like high stress lifestyles yeah um your cortisol levels are higher and that increases inflammation in your body which your uterus is a muscle, so it becomes inflamed when yeah. you're stressed out. It becomes inflamed when your joints hurt. And that leads to a lot of times more menstrual pain, more menstrual cramping and things like that. Yes. So like an active lifestyle doesn't mean like I work out in the gym six days a week all the time. An active lifestyle means I move my body in a way that makes me happy. So yes. like taking the time to do things to de- decrease your stress, like stretching or Pilates or some light yoga or dancing or something that brings down those levels will help decrease your period pain. But yeah. a lot of times if your period pain is not adjusting to your lifestyle changes, then it means that something is going on that is not normal. Like that nausea and vomiting and severe pain through your cycle sounds like adenomyosis or endometriitis and all these things which are really, really prevalent in people of color, but you're ignored because they say, oh, you're just, it's a period of pain. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I was like halfway through midwifery, like I met my first midwife when I was 21 and I went to a clinic because I was poor you know I was broke I had no real insurance I was in college and I needed to go so I went to a public health clinic and um she was like oh honey I was like my period is nine days and it comes every 24 and she was like you're on a period every two and a half weeks she was like what is going on she's like that that's not normal and I, I was like wow yeah I just thought this was normal. she was like no 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 we need to reset your hormones we need to test you for mm-hmm. other conditions or whatever and mind you she was like the fourth person I had seen because I was going to the like going every year for my annuals yeah so it wasn't new to me to tell people about it she was just the first person to tell me it wasn't normal Mm, yeah i hope this episode reached so many women especially black women i hope y'all are in a position i hope y'all have the proper insurance to go straight to your provider and be like let's Mm -hmm. reset my hormones babe because and even i want to reference the anti-inflammatory diet because even when you were describing everything and i'm thinking about the the short period of my life where i did have period symptoms my diet was not the best um mm-hmm. it contained a lot of foods that cause inflammation mm-hmm. um i i well, i've always been active i've never been a sedentary person but i was in constant states of stress you know i mm-hmm. was in an abusive relationship like i had so many things going on that even though i was taking good care of my body there were things counteracting it so it's kind of mm-hmm. like washing your car but you kind of washing it with mud a little bit or mm. you you know like it was like you're doing the right things but there are things that are getting in the way of what you're doing mm-hmm. yeah. um 
So I'm glad you brought that up. I kind of want to focus too on maternal health because that's the other Mm -hmm. part of shit we don't know, right? Like we don't know a lot about our own bodies, which makes it even worse when we become pregnant Mm -hmm. and then we're carrying this human. And I I feel extra passionate about this because my sister just had a child and recounted her experience with like childbirth and all of the things she did not know and that nobody explained to her. Mm. So yeah, if if Ayo could touch on that, because we we have a midwife here and we have somebody who brought a whole ass human into the wall. So like, what are the things that you wish somebody had told you or that you you wish people knew about maternal health and about having babies? I think my, I, I think what I would want people to realize is that maternal, like everyone hears about this maternal, like health crisis in America and across the globe and things like that. But mainly in America, they look at it and be like, oh, what can we do? What can we do? But our maternal health crisis is directly linked to, our, to, to like racism. Like the Black maternal health crisis is, is directly linked to racism and systemic bias. And it, it, does not Im- it doesn't necessarily mean that you're in better odds of getting when you get a Black provider is the crazy, scary part as well. So it really is more linked towards like where you deliver. So what I would tell people is if you're a pregnant person who's going to birth your baby somewhere, you need to treat this thing like you would when you're buying a brand new Mercedes Benz. Like you need to talk yeah. to people. You need to look up the, the stats for the car. You need to. So if you know, if you go on Google and you see that the, the, the dealership have bad reviews and it sells bad cars, you're not going to buy a car from them. You're going to go to the one with the great reviews and the, the thing. March of Dimes, if you go onto the March of Dimes website, literally publishes the hospital C-section rate across mm. America and major urban areas. If you, your first research should be, what is the hospital in my area with the lowest C-section rate? Because okay. they're going to be providing better care, right? Mm. Because they're, they're going to actually most likely have less interventions, have more of a supportive floor, have have more um, and better outcomes. When you look at a hospital, there's hospitals in the state that have like 40% primary, which is your first C-section, 40% C-section rates. And people are going to deliver at those facilities because they're pretty, right? They they're look good, but you're going to get atrocious care at those facilities because yeah. it's just not going to happen. Um, and I think that would be my first thing. And then my second thing is really take the time to choose your provider. Once you know where you're going to deliver, then choose a provider that matches you mm. and your style and what you desire. And not just someone who's telling you what you want to hear, someone that truly supports your vision for your birth. If you have been seeing someone for care and they have not asked you, what is it that you're hoping for from your delivery? There's something missing there. Mm. They, they're, they're not interested. You are just another number on their desk. And you need to move on. Yeah. I'm really Mm -hmm. glad you said that, Britt, because one, everybody knows that I'm one and done. But Mm -hmm. in those, I think maybe once a year, twice, if I'm feeling spicy, I have moments of being like, I could probably have one more baby. But Mm -hmm. then I think about the fact that the chances of me dying on a delivery table are high. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. no, I'm good. (laughs) You know? Um, So what you just shared is helpful. And I hope it's, I hope there's like, potential moms or just people in general who may one day deliver a baby or who are proper potentially preparing to deliver a baby I hope you guys take that information and run with it Mm -hmm. the thing that I wish and this is just based on my experience as somebody who like gave birth right 
Um, I wish that people knew that everybody's pregnancy and delivery and postpartum is different. My body is not doing the same thing. I mean, granted, it's the same process, right? But everybody's mm. experience is different. The women in my immediate family have never had to have C-sections. My grandmother didn't have to have a C-section with any of her children. None of her daughters had to. We have mostly women in my family. When it came down to okay, the doctors have decided that Deidre needs to have a C-section. Everybody was freaking out. Like, that's not right. We've never had to have this. Like, none of us have had C-sections. And it's like, are mm -hmm. any of y'all carrying this baby? Because he's not coming out. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I was not progressing. And granted, my birth experience was very different than my family because they all, from what I understand, they all went into labor naturally. I was mm -hmm. 10 days past my... um due date when they induced me and they mm -hmm. induced me because my midwife she because she was she I had a very good midwife I adore her I'm so grateful for her mm -hmm. she let me go as far as I could she would have let me make it to 42 weeks if mm -hmm. my plus but she she looked at that last ultrasound and she called the hospital and was like y'all need to induce her like this placenta is mature this baby it's very like my, mature. yeah mm -hmm. my estimated due date was very accurate you know because I was I'm a mm -hmm. person who tracks my period so the estimated due date they gave me made sense for my cycle um mm -hmm. and my body just wouldn't go into labor at all mm -hmm. And so my sister, my mom, they were all freaking out because they're like, this labor process is taking forever. Like, why is she still in labor? Like, they induced me maybe like 8 a.m. on um, April 17th, 8 a.m. Dylan wasn't mm -hmm. born until 10 p.m. the 18th of April. Mm -hmm. So I spent that whole time laboring. And even when they finally decided to give me to have a C-section, I had only in that whole stretch of time, mm -hmm. I only made it to four centimeters. Like mm -hmm. my body took forever to dilate. Like, and mm -hmm. they had to induce me in steps. They started with, what is it called? Cytotech? They started with that. And then after like, a, maybe by like, like maybe 12 hours later, they moved on to Pitocin and mm -hmm. it was an aggressive procedure. And finally my, my midwife and I were literally like crying together. She was holding my hand crying. Mm -hmm. She's like, Deidre, I wish we could do what you initially wanted, but we have to have a C-section at this point. Like the baby's heart rate is going up and down. You have mm -hmm. a fever. She was like, we can't keep this baby inside you. She was crying real tears. Mm -hmm. She was holding my hand. Like, yeah. she, like we were bawling. Her, she was on the phone outside crying to her husband. She, like we were really emotional. like, mm -hmm. it was really emotional. So for one, I just want people to understand, especially, um, you know, those, I know y'all mean well, but your daughter delivery gonna be a lot different than yours your sister your niece their or or they them whatever the pronouns mm -hmm. are the they. people in your life who are giving birth to babies everybody's delivery gestation everything is going to be different so hold space for that come into that space yeah. ready to support and to learn and that's it because yeah. you know it just is what it is it's very different i think um I think I took a really holistic approach to labor as well, which I realized like patients and their families are, aren't used to. So mm -hmm. like, they're like, why is this taking so long? Last time my dad had come in and had a baby, she, you know, they gave her the IV medication to make her contraction stronger and the baby came out quicker and whatever, whatever, whatever. And I always tell people like, I don't do anything to a laboring person unless it's medically necessary. Yeah. I'm going to let your body labor. I'm going to let your body, your baby come and labor, especially for first laborers. And, you know, you had a, a different circumstances. You started developing a fever. Your baby had, a, you know, drops in its heart rate. And those are like 
more critical decision making times where you have to figure out like does the risk outweigh the benefit of continuing this labor yeah um but a lot of times we end up with complications because people aren't patient like Mm. I, I I've had a patient that was six centimeters the other day for 12 hours and birthed her baby two hours after that but it's unheard of in the states they would have sectioned Mm. her they would have told her you're not opening up your cervix isn't opening up um we you know we can only do this for so long these are your risk factors but really it was just her first baby her body her her body stopped out because her baby wasn't in the best position she needed a little bit of time and some adjustment and some different position changes and then she delivered perfectly fine a few hours later so a lot of times you have to really have a a provider that supports you supports what you want Mm -hmm. um and really have a vision of what you want for your birth it's scary like you have to prepare for pregnancy and labor like you do the rest of your life there's doulas yeah doulas are a great support system every every person who has a baby should have a doula because they're trained to help support you through your labor through your postpartum through your pregnancy every person who birth should should really start doing the research so you know the questions you should ask you have information there's something called there's a free research called um let me I had just looked it up. It's called Just Birth Space. It's great. Mm-hmm. It's for patients. It's free. They do free virtual birth education classes. Oh, wow. They do free uh, maternal yoga. They do free childbirth prep classes, postpartum classes, baby parenting classes. And it's all free. And the, the recordings are all available for people. Like really prepare for this thing because you, your body and your experience is going to be very individualized. And then the second thing is that like when you're coming into a space where you're going to be like laboring and birthing and and be pregnant like it's different and I think Deidre touched on something that's really important tell people to stop telling you their story if your story is traumatic don't share your story with me because I don't want to be scared all the time because you've had this horrible experience I'm so glad you said that because I, for the life of me, if I meet somebody who is getting ready to have their first baby, I would never find that to be an appropriate time to share my birthing experience. Why would I do that? Like, let me tell you, that's the worst idea. Like, let me tell you about this. I had a fever, girl. My baby's heartbeat was dropping. I had an emergency C-section at 12 o'clock at night. No, you know what I do like to share? I like to share how to utilize that laboring process. Mm -hmm. And I like to give advice on, listen, make sure you have people in the room who are going to actually support you. Because one thing, Diamond and Dylan's dad... They took turns because mm-hmm. I had labor in my back. So they would take turns. Mm-hmm. Um, my midwife had showed them to press against my back with the cr- contraction. Mm-hmm. So she was like, whenever she's having a contraction, y'all need to press firmly on her lower back. And mm-hmm. only Diamond and Dylan's dad got it right. Like anybody else who would try, aside from my midwife, I would get irritated. So I, those are the things I share with expecting mothers who yeah. ask. Because I don't believe in giving expecting um mothers unsolicited advice. advice. But when they ask those questions, I'm like, listen... Um, my midwife let me eat while I was laboring. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, she let me have like light snacks and stuff. I know some providers mm-hmm. are like, no, mine let me mm-hmm. eat. Diamond made my room so ambient. Like she had, she Diamond created a playlist for my laboring process. Mm-hmm. Okay, Diamond and Dylan's dad took turns keeping me company. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just such a beautiful experience. It's a and team. Though, 
It's fun. And those are the things I share. I'm not going to share how things went left. And that yeah, baby was is, like, this no, is I'm what st- my body did. This, yeah, no, life. I'm going to say. And I was, you know, me and my midwife were sobbing, just sobbing out of tears. Yeah, like, that's, well, not, that's what people want. Not like, a lot of times people share these horrific experiences. And I tell people all the time, like, and my favorite thing to tell a patient is there's two people that want to be in your birth room. Somebody who wants to meet the baby and somebody who wants to support you. The person who wants to meet the baby is not who you need in your labor room. Mm-mm. You want the person who is there because they're concerned about you and your well-being and they will care less about a baby. That's who you want in your labor and, room. And I'm going to tell you, right? Let me tell you, if you are having a baby with a partner who, you know, because I've talked about how abusive <laughs> Dylan's dad has been toward mm-hmm. me, but I believe that he is just maybe a troubled individual because I don't doubt that he loved me. I had to forcibly yell at them and I say, follow my baby. because my birth eventually ended in a C-section. He was checking in on me. He was really good in that regard. They took my baby up out of my uterus. They took him to the other side of the room. One of the nurses had to yell at the person and be like, yo, bring this baby to see its mother. Like, are you... (laughs) So they bring me my baby. They about to take that little motherfucker to like wherever they take the baby. And I'm like, go follow the baby. And he's like, no, I need to stay here with you to make sure you're okay. I was like, go follow my baby. Yes, I said I will be fine. I because you know why? Like the nurses who were taking care of me, Dr. Berkeley was there. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm in good hands. Bonus Go with surgery. my baby. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mm-hmm. love Dr. Berkeley. Oh my God. Yeah. But it's it's still good that like that was the concern because yeah. you make a good point. Like a lot of people when it comes to childbirth and labor a lot of shit my sister said this to after because i i recently saw her like a few months after she gave birth, and she said you know one thing that i wish people would understand is that after i after a person gives birth to this baby i don't need you to come over here to help me with the baby i just met this little motherfucker i want to spend time with him yes. like this is my baby she's yeah. like i need you to come over to clean my bathroom like mm-hmm. i need you to come over to cook i need yep. you to come we over are... to support me in this way don't come for the baby i get a baby yeah like, that's crazy <laughs> the to me westernized people... approach mm-hmm. to childbirth and postpartum is the pits okay because they don't you like have women a baby, listen if you have a baby in Canada, right? Right now, they will pay you like six grand just for having the baby, okay? Just for giving birth to the person. Literally, they, you get like a six grand check right off rip. You're out of I'll work go there for right the next now. year. It's next a whole year, year yeah. Pay. The entire year with pay. They're not going to make you broke because you had to, had the child. So they're going to pay you for having a child and then pay you for work, for not walking after you have the child. When you have a baby in Europe, when you go home from the hospital, you go home with a nurse. A nurse comes home with you to help you take care of that baby for the first 24 hours. When you, they do a 24 hour check, they're there and then they're there. Then then the first three days you go home and then once a week for like two months. And then after that, it's like once every two weeks to make sure this baby is fine for the next year of the child's life. You know what I mean? And then, and and it's consistent. Like in China, there's like they, you, you don't go home. You go to your family's house because your family's mm-hmm. going to take care of you. And it's In a Mexican cultural culture, thing. It's a cultural thing mm-hmm. to take care of the woman who just delivered because your body's in like such a, a delicate a tr- space. Mm-hmm. Your home, you, how you want me to take care of this? And, and, and don't be breastfeeding while you're doing all of this, you know, please. Because if you are breastfeeding on top of having to do everything else, you, you're feeding every 15 to two hours. So every time you turn around, is no something shot. is back. 
it's something back on you and they make people feel like like this like you're just supposed to naturally be able to accomplish all the things in the world no it's I a learning take curve. care of myself you know now i have to take care of somebody else and my entire house you're, it, yeah it's unrealistic i'm i'm glad you brought something up Brittany, because it's something i a, a little question i had for you um because i've i've learned and heard that in eastern cultures pregnant women and new mothers are revered they're well cared for they mm -hmm. they don't they're well cared for um so i'm glad you came on here to confirm that it's so funny this morning i was on the train and there was an adorable pregnant lady and you could tell she was commuting to work and i was livid that a lady had to go to work i was like i can't believe mm -hmm. we live in a place where somebody whose body is so vulnerable right now has to get her feet were swollen and she was handling it well but i'm like she, but she should shouldn't have resting. to yeah she should not should have, have to be on the train going to work at this hour it was early in the morning too and i yeah. was like i don't i think that's only like on this side of the world like mm -hmm. other places like elders move in aunties come mm -hmm. and they help and they support they the mom mm -hmm. but here we are this nuclear or nucleus however you refer to a family with just the dad just the mom mm -hmm. and this mom is drowning because yeah. like you said i barely know how to take care of myself now i have to take care of this whole other person i cried in the car on the way from the hospital to my house when dylan was a newborn I was like, once I left the hospital and I no longer had access to like the nurses, I was bawling mm -hmm. the entire car ride home because yeah. I was terrified. I was, mind you, I've I've raised my nieces and nephews. Like I know how to mm -hmm. care for a baby, but this is different. This baby just came out of my motherfucking body. Mm -hmm. Like what the fuck? And I'm, I'm so sore. I'm yeah. still trying to recover. I'm bleeding everywhere. Like I'm not. It's just not. I was, it's not it goes it's back to what we were talking about earlier, where like people see childbirth as this beautiful wonderful thing because of the baby but what they don't realize is the mother the just went through something traumatic through so much like, and while it's is... trauma <laughs> no no now that i will say is not i will not call childbirth trauma it is the most primal experience someone mm. will ever have mm. it is the most naturally built thing that your body is equipped to do mm. than anything else and I, and i will say the one thing like we look at childbirth and we say that like we we've gotten so medicalized that like our all of our interventions have made childbirth safer when in mm -hmm. actuality we are it is more dangerous now to birth because of the level of interventions mm -hmm. than it was prior right mm -hmm. so in other countries who aren't as medicalized as us have better birth outcomes for mom and baby than our modernized american healthcare system mm -hmm. right so we have to look at it this way it birth yeah. is not traumatic our bodies are birth is one of the most beautiful experiences when you are when you have a supportive team when you have a supportive midwife when you really are encompassed in that experience you will walk out of that place feeling so empowered yeah. and so strong like you'd be like but you can't tell me nothing like <laughs> listen I've had, patients, I've had patients come to the office who have started the pregnancy like won't say nothing will very meek very quiet and by the time they finish their delivery they'd be like you can't tell me nothing you can't tell me they'd be like no you can't like i just push out the whole human like, yeah so and right. you, and you know like, you can't. Mm -mm. i'm glad you said that because even though i didn't get to push dylan that's my attitude right and mm -hmm. and that's how come i'd be saying like 
I want to see women stop letting these men playing in their face because <laughs> until your body could turn liquid into an entire human and then you you could let a motherfucker out of your body, watch your mouth when you're talking to me. And eat, whether it's C-section or giving birth naturally because C-sections, like, it oh, it's the mm-hmm. devil. The recovery was terrible. And I'm nice. glad you said that it's primal, Brittany, because so that's the other thing I would say is I went, I didn't prepare myself for a C-section. It never mm-hmm. occurred to me. I was, I was, listen, I spent majority of my pregnancy reading up on things, learning things, watching documentaries. I was mm-hmm. so ready. I actually went in, my birth plan was to have a natural birth. I had no intent. Mm-hmm. I was like, my ancestors was able to have fucking babies without epidurals. Like, mm-hmm. bitch, I'm finna deliver this motherfucking baby. Like he's, mm-hmm. I was prepared. I was, I mentally prepared. And that's probably why my labor, like the pain Everybody in my like room, especially like my mom and them, they were freaked out because they're like, that needle on that NST is way at the top and you just over mm-hmm. here deep breathing. Like you are not losing your shit. And I don't know but if maybe- it's a I, mental. Yeah, I don't it's know if maybe thing. I mentally prepared myself for mm-hmm. more pain than I was experiencing or, or if I have a high tolerance for pain. Don't know, don't care. But what I do know is that the one thing that I wish I had done differently was prepared myself for all possibilities because I went in just thinking that I was going to- labor push this baby and leave mm-hmm. like you know glowing and one of the, no- my my biggest things i would have said the one thing i would say for you just in hearing your experience on my end and receiving that is that i felt like your provider didn't do a good job of preparing you for how long that process would have been because mm-hmm. inductions are not 24 48 hours things inductions are three and four days because yeah. we're forcing your body to do something that it wasn't supposed to do. So right. a lot of times the, where, but where things went awry is that, you know, I always call them dramatic babies. Like you had a dramatic baby. He wanted to make an entrance. He wanted mm-hmm. to spice things up a little bit. And, and in My those Aries circumstances, King. you have that. Yeah. Just a and he was born on good friday so. yeah he wanted he, he had to declare himself yeah. so i tell people a lot of times and and that's one of the things i say preparing for the outcomes and and we every person i have even if they're like i want a vaginal birth i want blah 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 we have a brief conversation about in the event of an emergency you know you're never gonna i'm never gonna blindside a patient i'm not gonna walk in and be like you need a surgery right now like um, we're gonna talk about things as they come up we'll talk about concerns whatever as they come up yeah. so that way when if something does happen you would have known in ample time that this is what we potentially are looking at yeah. um and this is why i think that like you have to prepare for all outcomes i yeah. think that you outside of a brief conversation like in the events of an emergency this is how this is managed I, I really wouldn't have said prepare. You can't emotionally prepare for an OR. Like there's right. nothing you could have done to prepare for that OR table. So don't even yeah. take that on. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, you're it, right. it, is the, it is It is the most isolating feeling to have a C-section. Like you are literally mm-hmm. completely really detached is. from the other part of your body. Yeah. You don't see, all you have is, feel, all you feel is people pushing on your body and then like people walking around and everyone talking. And yeah, it was really, really, yeah, it was really yeah. uncomfortable. And you use the right language. It was isolating. Mm-hmm. Um, it was isolating. And I'm mm-hmm. so grateful for my anesthesiologist because he had, mm-hmm. his bedside manner was impeccable. He created a sense of comfort and warmth for me mm-hmm. because I mean, obviously he know he knows ORs, you know, so yeah. But I, you're right. I, there's no way I could have prepared. I think I just wish I mentally prepared myself for that possibility because it never occurred to me that my birth could mm-hmm. end in a C-section. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that's I, okay. I know? think maybe that's 
I think that's the part of birth that like I interpreted as trauma. It's not like the birth itself, right? Like I agree mm-hmm. that like that's we were built to do that shit, right? Mm-hmm. But in hearing my friends' experiences going through the birth, a lot of them have had those experiences where unlike like your approach to it, Brittany, like everything is we doing this now. We did a yeah. walk in, we you have to have a C section. Did a walk in, we need to examine you. Like a lot of how mm-hmm. American doctors handle the birth process feels like it would be traumatic because it's like it, you ain't laying my body do what it's supposed to do right. and you insist and i have that, to do all of these things and you're not explaining to me any part yeah. of the process so that's what, so what you're saying is that the care received created traumatic experience right yeah but yeah. birth wouldn't in itself like the staple for every other culture who has leading like health outcomes for women is they 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 push midwifery care as their primary model of yeah. care. Their healthcare, their oh, their obstetrical stuff is ran and and it's midwife led policies and and best practice led guidelines and things like that. Whereas here, they're like a lot of providers don't do don't update their practice ever across their lifespans. Mm. They don't. They don't do anything but a medical model of care. But if if you are looking for something to be wrong at every turn, you will find something to be wrong. Like mm. you have to like check out your boxes, make sure everybody's fine, and then allow the birth and the process to happen naturally. But a lot of time in the model of care that they're pushing for obstetrical and, and women who are birthing or people who are birthing is that like we have to do something to make this happen. And if it's happening, we need to do something to make it happen faster because no one has the patience to let labor just occur. All of the studies that you have out right now show that there's like this labor curve, but the labor curve existed and was done 25 over almost 50 years ago, I want to say. And that study is false. It's out of the question now because 50 years ago, we was also walking miles a day for water up the street. Like we don't, we don't live that lifestyle no more. We don't have, we're not. The average woman is not 18 and birthing. You know what I mean? Like a lot of now, like a lot of our patients are over 30. They're waiting to have kids. They have more health problems. There's other things going on. So if you're using a labor curve for a completely different generation of of people and you're expecting this to be valid, whereas with midwifery care, it literally says unless something is going on that the mother of the baby has shown signs of like potential distress, we don't do nothing. You're not going to do nothing. You can't take back. I'm right. not going to do much to you. And I induce patients. I have high-risk patients. I have whatever. But I've also been able to maintain that, like, my C-section rate is less than 10% because yes. I don't interfere with people's bodies unless I unless I need to. And there's times I have patients who have C-sections that I've got on a place with them. I have patients I've had to send off island. And I'm anxious. When I tell you scared, scared, that'll be like, call me. Tell me what's going on. Let me know what's up. And I really like, and you push people, you push education, but at the end of the day, the providers have to do better. But because our providers aren't doing better, we have to equip ourselves with the necessary things. What that looks Mm. like is a supportive partner. And know your partner. Not every partner, and not every man, woman, thing, person that has gotten you pregnant is capable of being supportive. Know (gasps) your partner's strength. Know if they cannot handle that. 
get if you have the financial means to get a doula get a doula if you don't yeah. have a financial means to get a doula screw the birth the the screw the baby shower ask people to donate to your doula for your for your pregnancy and your postpartum care like mm. really step up and take control of what's happening to you bring somebody with you to your prenatal appointment write down yeah. your questions so it'd be like i'm 20 weeks what do i need to be looking for like no no know that you are entitled to the time it, it, that is necessary for someone to talk to you about what's going on with you yeah pregnancy is a is a honored and respected and you are making eyeballs for god's sakes like there literally. are you literally so take the time to prepare for these experiences childbirth is more dangerous than like birth control as well so like people be like i want to take birth control because of the side effects and blah 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 you could die if you get pregnant you could die literally six weeks one... into your pregnancy yep you you know what i mean like and i'm like i stress to people like uh unintentional pregnancy is life-threatening like it is a life-threatening state you need to decide on like whether you want to do and like birth control and if you live in a mainland i tell you right now again amazon and order your plan b then because it's 15 dollars on amazon to order oh. a plan b over the counter it is cheap the generic plan b is 15 dollars on amazon pop you a couple of them and keep them in your car if you don't want to be on a <laughs> sustained like you know what period. you don't want to be on sustained birth control and then talking about like different options i feel like I, I was on another podcast and I love them, another local group. And I said something that I feel like is really important. When you walk into a provider's office and you get a diagnosis, one of the best ways to force them to teach you is to ask them, if I don't do this, what are the potential risks and what are the potential outcomes? Okay. And the next question is, if it's not this, what else do you think it could be? Because what right. it's going to do is force them to walk through their thought process with you. Mm. And it's the easiest, because then they're going to be like, okay, well, let me go through why I feel like it's this. Let yeah. me go through, if it's not this, this is what I'm thinking comes next. Because a lot of times you'll hear like, oh, well, it's constipation. And if your mother has said, well, now if it's not constipation, what do you think it is? Yes. Like, what if I take a shit this morning? Correct. Exactly. Correct. Exactly. Those it's are really good questions. Those are really mm -hmm. good questions because not, you know, it's like not every doctor is going to be thorough, you know, like, so that's going to force them to be thorough. Thank you so much to Brittany for coming on. I have learned so much and I think the audience is going to learn so much. And even if I don't feel like fully educated on the things you need to know, I feel like we've opened the floor for Aya to start asking more questions of your providers for you to start advocating for yourselves a little more yes. and i'm gonna be honest for people who might be hesitating to have kids it kind of alleviated some fears about like the birthing process because i'm like okay it don't have to be like that i could make sure it's not mm. by doing my research so dying dying me promising i got child mm, i don't know but I feel better about it. At least I live it. So thank you so much, Brittany, for coming on. We appreciate you. Um, I will link all the things because I also really enjoy Brittany's TikTok. And I don't learn so much about it. <laughs> that ass. Like your TikTok <laughs> is such a resource, Brittany. Mm -hmm. It is such a resource. Yeah. I think my TikTok matches my personality. Like it's all things. You're gonna get a little hot girl, you can get a yeah. little mm -hmm. education, you can mm -hmm. get a little bit of ratchet. Like it's a little touch base. I just feel like 
I before we close that I want to say both of you guys have agreed to come birth and sing for it with me so uh-huh. I, I yeah. would just love yeah. to say that by the end of this yeah. conversation so we, we're gonna have a docu-series of the good up labor process oh imagine that would be so <laughs> of the pregnancy and uh, you know contact hey so we're gonna end up meeting you know lots of imaging lots of contact very very Listen. big picture oh my god we're gonna I have to all the cameras. I need to decide on the timeline for the pregnancy first because I'm like I know ain't no I know it now. Right. You have yeah. time. My my mentor dropped her first baby at 41. Oh, you I have time. Mentor. No, that's, that's, no problem, no health issues, no nothing. She yeah. had a beautiful pregnancy, beautiful delivery. Because I'm adamant, like, I, I don't want to work when I'm pregnant. Mm-hmm. I want to be mm-hmm. off for all 10 months of my pregnancy. Mm-hmm. I want to give yeah. birth where I want to give birth. Like, I want it to be, obviously, like Deidre said, you can't predict what's going to happen. But for as much as I can control, that's what I'm going to control. Because I'm like, no, Mm -hmm. I I want Polariana. I want my child to be born in St. Croix. If I could help it, yeah. like I want to be yeah. on the beach with my big belly and then be like, oh shit. I yeah. You know? It's but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so again. Wait, Rihanna had her second show? I don't know if she Not had yet. them yet, but she has been like making regular Today in Barbados. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's in Barbados. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I I love that for her. I'm like, yeah, you make that child beige and you smart. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, um, to the people who are listening, you know where to find us on social media at Gora Pod. And I actually want to hear some of y'all like um stories yeah. with like navigating the healthcare system. I don't I I obviously don't want to hear your scary birthing stories, Brittany. Don't tell her I don't come in here trying to scare me. But if you had <laughs> wonderful birthing experiences, I would love to hear those. Um, and yeah, we will be right back here next week. If you want to see the full video of this episode and get bonus content, all that stuff, join us over in the VIP section because Brittany Gannis, like nice ass red shot. It complements in a tan. She just gained Tyler. Yeah, like, she looks she fucking got, good. Okay. Yeah. Brittany look, Brittany, one thing Brittany going to do is look good. And if like, you're in a patron, you can only see little bits and pieces on social media. You ain't going to see mm-hmm. Brittany for real. So you need to join yeah. the Patreon. And then see Brittany. Okay. So with that being said, <laughs> Deidre, you know the drill. <laughs> Tell the people about it. Bye. this season of the good up podcast is sponsored by empath psychological services the good up podcast is black woman hosted and produced by deidre ritter and hey isa quinones ivory find us on all social media platforms at good up pod tag us using the hashtag good up tuesday and join the vip section over on patreon for exclusive bonus content at patreon.com slash good up podcast